And I'm glad Damon gave me the distraction with the microphone because that uh, every time I think about that, it chokes me up. And, um, you know, I was sitting here just, uh, you know, I haven't thought about this for the last, you know, almost since I was asked to come up and, and speak. And, um, you know, I'm busy right now with work, you know, thank God. And, you know, I just started to look around the room and I started to get nervous and started to look at, you know, a lot of the faces in here and, you know, started to think back about, you know, the good times and the bad times in my sobriety this time and just, you know, there have been a lot of good times and, and a lot more good times than bad times, but, you know, just looking around the room and seeing the faces of the people, you know, that keep coming back here, you know, that, that helped me get sober, you know, because I was one of those guys that I just, uh, I did not think I could get sober. You know, my name's Tim, and I'm an alcoholic, by the way. <laughs> and um, and I'll never forget that, you know. And it, and it's true what Natalie says. I mean, I would have never guessed that just by coming, you know, to a few meetings and doing some of the things that are suggested in here. And you know, Diana and I were talking before the meeting, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of work to do in here, but you know, it it doesn't compare to the. Uh, the work I had to do to try and hide and, and live my life and, and literally survive when I was drinking. I mean, when I compare those two things, you know, if they would have told me, if you just, you know, go to a couple meetings a week, you know, get a sponsor and make some phone calls and then be open-minded about working the steps that your entire life would change, I would say it's not possible. You know, it's just not possible that I was too far gone and, and things had gotten too bad and um, I mean, I was hopeless when I came in here. I had, uh, and I'm not a big, big guy on, on, you know, my past and my stories. I mean, I, I have all the stories that pretty much everybody else does, and some are worse, some are not as bad, and, you know, I mean, the big book tells me that my stories serve one purpose, and it's to help you, and that's it. And I try and remember my stories in that, in that context that, you know, it's to help you identify that this program is, is you know, going to take away your uniqueness and that you're not special and that, you know, we all did things we're not proud of and that, uh, you know, nobody's special here. But this program is very special. And it's, it's just amazing to me that, um, you know, I think about when I came in here and um, I just remember the state of mind I was in and it was just, it was God-awful. And it was um, something that I, I, try not, I try not to forget. You know, and, and when I look at that in contrast to where I am today, it's amazing. And it's not with the things that I have and the house that I have and the, you know, the car, but it's, you know, that feeling inside that was missing when we come in here, that emptiness that, you know, Chuck C. talks about, that big hole. You know, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up at 45 years old. I was confused. Uh, I couldn't make a decision that I could stand by. Uh, the decisions I made were the result of all of my troubles. You know, I'm one of these that believes that drinking was not my problem. You know, that uh, drinking was a solution to all of my decisions and my bad decisions that I made that caused so much chaos in my life. You know, I just did not know how to live, and I didn't know how to live with alcohol or without alcohol. And, you know, when you're stuck in that space, you know, the book talks about it, it's, it's complete despair and hopelessness. And, uh, you know, I, I did not know where to turn. And that was the first time I came into AA, and I, I you know, I'll kind of start with my, my story a little bit. I, my drinking career, when I look back at it, I started to jot some stuff down this morning, 
And my drinking career was no different the second time around than it was the first time around. I drank very hard, I drank very heavy, um, and I drank till I was either locked up or put away or passed out. And that was just, you know, my drinking history. And uh, by age 23, you know, I had, uh, I had three DUIs. Uh, grew up in Dunwoody here. I had, uh, I had a, a very severely separated shoulder from a, from a drinking accident that I had. Um, I had been in multiple detox units. I had been in Anchor Hospital three times. Um, one of my last stints was at GMHI, and, and this was a this was a turning point for me in in my first uh, time in sobriety. And um, my parents had dropped me off at GMHI, you know, back when it was around, and and um, my parents had started going to Al-Anon. They did not know what to do with me. And they were finally getting to a point where they had some people that were helping them and giving them some advice on what to do and how to handle me. And I will never forget it. I was at the front of GMHI, and um, they had dropped me off. And my mom stayed in the car, and my dad walked me to the front door. And, and I had, my dad was always the enabler. You know, my dad was the guy that I could always manipulate, and it was, you know, uh, he was the easy guy. And... He had been going to Al-Anon too, and I, I tell you, I thank God for Al-Anon. You know, Al-Anon, the first time I got sober, and this time has, has just as much saved my relationships and my life as, as AA has. And, um, you know, my dad looked at me and he said, you know, he said, we, we've been going to Al-Anon, and he said, we're, we're prepared and understand the idea that you may die from this disease. And he said, we're prepared, you know, to move on with our life. And I'll never forget it, you know, he turned and he walked away. And, uh, you know, I remember standing there and it was just, you know, it was just me. And, uh, you know, I was, I didn't know what to do. And being the good alcoholic I was, you know, he said you could go in or you could stay here. He said, but, you know, we're moving on. And uh, they left. And, you know, I had... Being the good decision maker I was, I turned and walked down to North Avenue, you know, and spent a couple of days down on North Avenue till I had uh, had used all of those resources. And I will tell you, the quality of my resources at that time were the guys that hung out behind the open house down there on North Avenue, you know, drinking wine and MD 2020. And um, and then I walked back to GMHI and I went in, and uh, that was probably the first time that I had really felt like. Uh, I had nowhere else to go. And uh, I had figured I'd go in there and they'd keep me for about four or five days and let me go and I was in there for 17 days. And uh, I remember getting out of there and taking a taxi back to Atlanta or to my home, my parents' home. And they had conveniently gone on vacation. And uh, I found my way into the house and, you know, I, let me back up a minute. When I left GMHI, I had this feeling and this idea that this is it. You know, this is it. I had been introduced to AA, and I knew about AA over at 8111, where they had dropped me off to a couple meetings over there. And I really believe when I left GMHI that this was going to be a new start, and I was going to be able to, to make it from here. And uh, 
I remember getting home and I remember it wasn't 10, 15 minutes I was going through the house looking for alcohol and I couldn't understand that. You know, I couldn't understand, you know, how you could be in this situation with your dad saying that and then all of a sudden you're looking for bottles that you hit around the house and it just, the idea of that insanity today, and, and I'll be honest, it seemed normal to me. You know, it just seemed like the thing to do. And the truth of the matter is, you know, after a couple four steps and, and learning a little bit more about the way I operated, I just didn't know how to live. And I didn't know what to do. And I was 23, and um, I didn't know what the answers were. But I knew that drinking would kind of take all that away. And I drank till I passed out, and they came home. And they had already made plans to ship me off to a place down on Memorial Drive called Recoup Residence. And it was a three-quarter way house that... Uh, that uh, had about 15 guys in it and I will tell you that place saved my life and the guy that ran that house saved my life and uh, I learned how to grow up again you know at 23 I learned how to make my bed and we had rules and you had to get a job after a certain period of time but it was uh, it was a good place for me and it was exactly what I needed you know I was introduced over to the NABA club and um, that's where I started going to meetings and uh, I remember the first meeting I went in and I picked up a white chip and I will tell you that I had six guys come up to me after the meeting and give me their business card. And it was a little different back there. A guy named Stan Parks came up to me, he said, Tim, he said, this is Roy and he's going to be your sponsor. You know, and that's how they did it back there. And he said, I want you to call him, you know, tonight when you get home and call him first thing in the morning. And that was the first time that I had ever, ever taken a suggestion like that and I did it. And um, I had gotten a job, I did not have a car, you know, I had a couple DUIs and I, I wasn't getting my driver's license back till, you know, 2050 sometimes, so, um, you know, I used to think I was like Jesus, I walked everywhere, and, um, but uh, I finally got a job and um, I shared this in my first story, I didn't get any job, a job was given to me by my brother and uh, he had some friends that that owned a business out on Windy Hill and I was down on Memorial Drive and I just had to figure out how to get there and they were going to hire me. And uh, my schedule for two years that I stayed sober was I had to get up at 4.30 and uh, you know kind of start getting ready and I had to go down on Memorial Drive and catch a 6 a.m. bus and I had to walk through this part of town on Memorial Drive where you know still all the drug addicts and everybody was out and for some uh, unknown reason I was able to make it through all that and get through and I walked out of Memorial Drive and I took a bus down to Five Points and I got on a train from Five Points down to the Art Center and then I got on a bus from the Art Center that took me all the way out to Powers Ferry and then I had to get off that bus and walk two miles to work and I did that for two years and uh, so I kind of roll my eyes when guys come in newcomers and tell me that you know life is tough you know and on the way back, I, there were two buses that left Powers Ferry, one at 6 and one at 6.10. So I had to leave the office at 4.15, 4, 4 somewhere in there, walk back up to the bus, and I would get on that bus and go down to the art center. And then from the art center, I would go down to Brookhaven. And then on Brookhaven, I would take the number 23 down to Buford Highway, and I would get off and walk to the NABA Club and go to a meeting. And then usually somebody would give me a ride home, you know, late at night. And... Uh, I just did that, you know, and I, I just started to get involved in the program. And, you know, Natalie mentioned the sweeping, you know, out front. And, and, you know, that stuff was taught to me at NABA. You know, I was taught to make coffee. And I was told that I needed to make coffee if I wanted to stay sober. 
and I wanted to stay sober. And I know even on the weekends, you know, I'd go over to Nava. They have a club clubhouse downstairs, and uh, I would take my same, you know, bus route and train route and get out to Nava, and I'd spend all day there. You know, and, and early on I would spend all day there because I was afraid to be outside of there. You know, I literally did not trust myself probably for a year. And I'll tell you an interesting story that, that happened first time in sobriety that was a turning point. You know, there's turning points when we're drinking that get us in here, and this was a major turning point for me in sobriety. You know, when I was walking down Powers Ferry to my job, there's a little liquor store in this strip mall, you know, right down there by the river. In the morning, you know, no problem because they weren't open yet, and I had to walk by it. But I tell you, every time I walked by it, it called my name. Even when it was closed, I knew it was there, and I just almost a lot of times had to, you know. But on the way home, you know, even in the summertime, it's hot. And I mean, I tell you, I walked by that liquor store with my head down, praying a lot of times, just saying, God, please don't let me go in there. God, please don't let me go in there. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you, I, it would call my name. And... Uh, Somehow I made it through that, and I will tell you, one morning I was walking to work, and it had occurred to me that I was about a half mile past that store, and I hadn't thought about the liquor store. And I will tell you that when that thought hit me, it was a spiritual experience like I can't explain. And the, you know, the thought occurred to me that if God could take that compulsion away, you know, that just maybe this program could work for me. And... Uh, I'll tell you, coming back that day, I felt like I was walking on air. I mean, I, you know, catch the bus. I couldn't wait to get to Nava to tell these people about my experience and that, you know, and I just, I, I, my, whole, my whole attitude changed that maybe these stories and these promises that I was hearing about in AA, you know, that maybe they could just happen for a guy like me. So I got involved and stayed sober for uh, a lot of years. I stayed involved at Nava um, for about eight years. And when I mean involved, I mean I chaired meetings and I made coffee and I swept and I hung out there and, and did all those things that were suggested to me. And, you know, somewhere around six, seven years, uh, at five years sober, my brother died. My brother died of AIDS disease. And uh, that was, again, another turning point for me. He was a year older than me. We were real close. And, uh, you know, uh, two things about that experience is I'll never forget, you know, we were in the hospital down at Piedmont for you know the last week that he was alive, and you know I remember sitting in there one night. He had asked me, and I, I'll tell you what's funny. I will back up. He gave me my one-year chip, and when he gave me this, kind of just tells you what kind of hopeless case I was because uh, when he gave me my one-year chip, same thing happened with my son. My brother couldn't say a word, and he just broke down crying, and I just thought it was really cool that the same thing happened. I mean, people just did not think. They, they just knew that I was probably going to end up in the ground like a bunch of my friends did. And, um, but anyways, in the hospital, I'll never forget, he was very spiritual, very religious. And uh, I, remember, I remember holding his hand. You know, this was right before he passed away. He had an oxygen mask on. And I remember him looking up at me saying, you know, you need to let go of my hand. He said, I'm having a hard time concentrating. And he said, it's time for me to go. And I will tell you, I'll never forget you know, the idea, and this was at five years sober, that this guy is, you know, he's dying, and he is so in touch with God, and that had a huge impact on me, and I'll tell you, after he died, I, I got angry, and um, I think it took about three years for me to gravitate away from AA, and 
I never resolved that issue. You know, I, I kind of, my sponsor had, had left. I didn't get a new sponsor. And these are, I'm telling you, these are all things uh, that, that we need to pay attention to, you know, because they're all the things we hear about, but for some reason, and they're all the things that I heard about, but for some reason I could not fix myself. And that was the one thing that I remember from the first time I was sober. I, I moved away from NABA mentally and physically, moved out here to Woodstock. I didn't get a new sponsor. I didn't, I didn't go to meetings. And it had occurred to me when I started to get sober a second time. I stayed sober for another seven years. I got a good job. I started my own business. And uh, things were okay, you know. Uh, but I was not going to meetings. And, and uh, you know, I could just kind of see now. I couldn't see it at the time, but how things started to deteriorate, you know, just with my relationships. Because with me, those are the first things that go. I start acting differently. I start responding differently to situations that I used to be able to handle. And my relationships start to, and it was, they were relationships with employees, with people I worked with, with family. And they all started to go away, and I didn't know how to cope with that. And uh, after 16 years, I was on a business trip in San Antonio and took a drink. And... Um, the insanity of that experience was I remember sitting there with a group of people and uh, I remember saying to myself, nobody will know. That's how far away from AA I had gotten. And uh, we had relocated out to Omaha, Nebraska and this company had, had, had paid for a full relocation and my wife and my son were still here in Woodstock and uh, I had gone out in January. And this was sometime in March, and the, the plan was we're going to wait till my son finished school in, in May and June, and then, you know, they were going to come out. And I was up in a you know nice executive apartment and doing my deal, and you know being the big shot. And and I'll tell you, if I had to look back now at the feeling, is I was living this this fantasy of a big shot, but I was feeling about that big inside. You know, I was feeling so insecure and fearful that I couldn't do the job that was tasked to me. Uh, People were going to find out who I really was, and I had nobody to talk to. And um, but the insanity of sitting at that restaurant with a group of people—we were we were working on a big deal—and uh, they started passing margaritas around. And I just thought, you know, nobody will know. I'll just do it tonight. And I will tell you, in two days, I was drinking a fifth of vodka again a day. You know, when I got off work, and it just it it took off like that. And for a couple months, I tried to manage my manage my drinking the best I could after hours, you know, and then we, you know, the family moved out and it just got worse, you know, it got worse and I mean, I was in another four or five rehabs in Omaha, you know, and, and it just got real ugly and uh, we finally moved back to Atlanta and we kept our home here in Town Lake and we were able to, to move right back into our house and, you know, at this time, it was nothing more than a geographical cure for not only me, my whole family. If we could just get back to Town Lake, everything we you know, we all hated Omaha. You know, it snowed too much, and it was just, the people were different. So we moved back here, and, you know, the thought never occurred to me to go to an AA meeting. You know, the thought only occurred to me that I was going to get this right, I was going to fix myself, I was going to, you know, get a new job, and everything was going to be okay, and it just was never the case for me. It got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And uh, I'll tell you this last time, I mean, I, I, it would probably take two sets of hands to tell you all the detoxes I've been in. I, you know, Cobb detox I've been in four or five times, six times maybe, until they wouldn't take me anymore. I was in 
you know, my family started to send me out to DeKalb Crisis Center because my sister lived in DeKalb County and I could get in for nothing, you know, using her zip code. And I remember the last time I had, I had accumulated another three more DUIs this time. And uh, um, I'll never forget the last time I was in DeKalb Crisis Center, I blew .401 alcohol level. And I was a round-the-clock drinker. And I remember, and even Adam can probably testify this, when I was in the 164 house, I mean, they would open my trunk and there's just bottles everywhere. I mean, there was just never enough. And I would stop and I just would get another bottle and, you know, kind of put it in the back. I just, you know, that's, that's like all I thought about, you know, and, and um, God forbid that I was going to be without alcohol. But, uh, you know, the guy asked me in DeKalb Crisis Center, they had assigned a... a, a psychologist or a shrink to me and the guy asked me he said you know have you ever thought about killing yourself and I said no I just kind of I, I just laughed it off and it's like of, of course not you know and he just kind of looked at me he said well you know with this kind of alcohol level he says you know you're basically killing yourself and I was when I look back at it now you know I was slowly just drinking myself to death because I couldn't cope and you know you know that's that's the bottom line for me it's not that you know, my mother's a kleptomaniac, which she is, you know, and she's been in prison many times, you know. She, and she's doing good today, you know. She's, she's doing real good today. And, and I'll tell you, I have, I have compassion for her because, you know, I have an answer, you know, for, I have a solution. You know, I don't have an answer, but I have a solution. And, you know, but I'm one of these that, you know, I don't drink because my mother's a problem or my dad's a problem. I drink because when I drink alcohol, I don't know how to stop. And it's not that I don't know how. I don't want to stop. You know, there's just not enough. There's a switch that goes off in me that just tries to convince me that if I just drink more, that old feeling I used to get the first time I drank is going to come back. And it never does. And uh, anyways, I lost my train of thought. But I just remember that guy asking me that question in, in DeCamp Crisis Center. And um, I got out of there, and I it just kept getting worser. And, you know, that's where you know, that word came from, and it's not in the dictionary, but we all know what it means, but I mean, I just could not stop drinking. Um, my life had uh, escalated to a point where I had gotten kicked out of my house uh, and asked to leave, and I moved over into this place over here called the Peaks, and it didn't work, and uh, I remember the last couple times I went into DeKalb Crisis Center, I, I, I couldn't walk. I mean, I, I was they had to bring me in in a wheelchair that the shakes and the, the DTs were so bad. And, you know, I saw stuff and I heard stuff and it was all the good stuff that you hear about, you know, in people's stories. And uh, I wound up at a place called the Potter's House up in Athens. You know, that was like another place they thought might help me. And it was a long-term Christian recovery center. It was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, you know, went up there and after a couple months started to feel good. And I stayed with the program and I graduated after seven months. And I came back here, and I, I, I moved into a halfway house um, over here off Bell's Ferry, and I started going to meetings. And once again, I thought, you know, this was it. Maybe this was hopeful for me. And I it just broke out drunk again. I, can't, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I, um, I just did. And uh, because that's what I do. You know, that's how I fix the problems. And, uh, you know, that lasted another couple months. And... Ended up at the Potter's house a second time, and, and uh, I did not stay the whole seven months, and I left, and I moved back into the 164 house, or they let me back in, and I uh, tried to put my business that I had started back together with. I was cutting grass. That was, that was about all I could do. 
uh, for a company out of Tampa on these bank-owned properties. And somehow I was able to go out and get all my backlog for, you know, the couple weeks that I had missed when I relapsed again and got all my work done. And uh, I got back in here and my sponsor had fired me, um, which was probably another one of the best things that ever happened to me. And uh, I got a new sponsor. And I'll never forget that when uh, I came back in here that time, I, I had done something that I never thought I could do. And, and again, this was another, as simple as it sounds, was a spiritual awakening for me. And I was supposed to meet him on a Saturday morning meeting, and I overslept. And I, I woke up at about quarter to nine. And, uh, you know, for a guy like me, it would have been no big deal. I'll catch up with him next time and go do my plan and, you know, go work my program. And I didn't do that this time. I rushed up and I, you know, didn't take a shower and I threw some clothes on and I came up here. And I got up here right when everybody was coming out and Mike was coming out. And I just, I went up to him. I said, Mike, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, you know, I was supposed to be here and I, I overslept. And, um, and I was real worried about being honest with him. And uh, he just said, no big deal, man. You know, no big deal. You guys know Mike, and that's how, no big deal. But I walked away from there, and I had this feeling that, that I was able to go and be honest, and it blew me away. And I, and I felt like for once I was able to do something uh, that made me feel good. And, you know, it wasn't money or it wasn't a job, but it was the simple fact that I was able to go up there, look some guy in the eye and be honest and say I overslept. And it, it just had a huge impact on me. And uh, there was one other experience that I had right before, or back when I had relapsed again, when I was in the 164 house, I was working one day, and I had rear-ended a guy over on 41. And um, this is an amazing story, by the way. It just goes to show that, that what I see a lot of times right in front of me is not what's important, or it's not what God wants me to see, or wants, you know, how he wants me to react. I had rear-ended this guy, and the guy was, and I took off, you know. Someone had gotten my license plate number, and by this time I had, you know, three more DUIs. I was drinking, and it would have been number four. And uh, I got a call a couple days later from Cobb County, and it was one of the investigators that said, you know, have you wrecked your car? You gave me all the questions. I'll give you the short version. And I was like, well, I don't think so, but let me go check. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, go, he, he said it like this. Well, why don't you go check and call me back? And uh, I went and checked, and yeah, I'm like this, okay, should I call him back? Well, I called the guy back, and he said, well, you need to come in here. You need to come up here on Lemon Street up there. And, you know, I went up there, and I told the guy, I said, well, apparently, you know, someone wrecked my car, you know. And he just looked at me, and... and uh, but let me tell you how this, how this transpired. And uh, I finally came clean with the guy, and I told him. And by this time, he had run a whole rap sheet on me, and he had seen the six, seven DUIs, and he knew everything about me. And uh, we came clean. My insurance had expired. I had hit and run, and uh, a bunch of other, you know, fun charges that I was probably going to have to answer to. And uh, he came back out. He made me wait in the waiting room. And we went out, he said, he said, follow me for a minute. We went outside and talked. And he started telling me about a story of his father who had died from alcoholism that was in the program and had gone out and relapsed. And I had told him my story that I was sober for a while. I couldn't get, you know, trying to get so, you know. And he, he took about 10, 15 minutes and the guy started crying. This is a, 
Cobb County deputy. And um, I'll tell you, it was amazing. And uh, he said, I'm going to let you go. He said, my, my, my supervisor is probably going to have my ass. He says, you can't take the car until you get some insurance, you know, and you've got to get some insurance. So I, you know, got some progressive insurance right there in the parking lot. And he, he said, I'm going to let you go. He said, but I've got to write you these citations. He said, I should be locking your ass up. And uh, I have since gone back and met with that guy. And um, it's just amazing. And I guess the moral to that story is, you know, all these situations, you know, Tom, I was in a meeting last night and my buddy Tom from NABA, who's been sober a long time, who we got sober together the first time, had said that there is an answer, there is a spiritual answer to every one of my problems that is in this program. And it's the truth. And, uh, you know, the fact that that, that happened and that that outcome, you know, that, that maybe just this accident helped this guy come clean with some issues that he had, it just blew me away. It's like it is so much deeper than what I see on the surface. Uh, and it gives a whole new meaning and per, per, perception to my life today. It's just amazing. And uh, so I had gone to court and I answered to that charge. And, you know, one of the tasks that I had to do before I went to court, you know, that my lawyer had told me was call the guy that I had hit. It was a tree service company. And I had gotten a hold of the guy and I called him. Well, apparently it was his son-in-law who was in the program and who was drinking at the time. That was the guy that was driving that vehicle. And he was the one that made a big stink about it and called the, you know, called the investigators. Well, an old guy answered the phone and I told him, I introduced myself, I told him what happened and he started laughing. He said, man, you didn't damage that truck. He said, there was nothing wrong with it. I had to make restitution and I had to pay him for the damages before I went to court. He said, you don't owe me anything for that, thing, for that, for that accident. He said, that was my knucklehead son-in-law. <laughs> and uh, he said, you go to court and take care of what you need to take care of. And that was the end of the conversation. And I'm thinking, these, these things started to happen. And I don't know if they happened because God was up there shining down on me. I don't know. But I know that I was following some spiritual principles that included being honest and included doing some, making some tough decisions and, and doing some legwork and being accountable for my behavior and my actions. And I went to court and, and everything seemed to take care of itself. You know, and I think that that was the launching pad for my sobriety this time. I came in here and I got, I got active. Now I'll tell you one of the things that I didn't do when I came in here this time was I didn't, uh, uh, I was a walking big book, you know, because I had all those years of sobriety. And I was a walking big book of useless information. I didn't know how to use any of it three feet out the door. And I'd come in here and I'd get all spiritual and I would, I would get some relief from myself. And, and again, pay special attention to the word relief. I was real good at coming into meetings when my ass was on fire. And I'd come in here and get some relief. And I'd go back out there and I'd start working my program again. And a wise old guy you know, told me one time, he said, Tim, he said, has it occurred to you yet? that your program keeps bringing you back to our program. And that, has, <laughs> and that has stuck with me ever since, you know, and it's true. And, it's, uh, and I really came in here this last time and I gave up. And I remember sitting in meetings and I really had an attitude that it was almost like, take me, you know, and show me what to do. And uh, I started to take suggestions and I started to work with a, a sponsor and I started to do the things that he asked me to do. And uh, I started sweeping, and I started coming in here early and hanging out. And 
there was a big difference for me when I was coming in here for an hour and, and piggybacking on all of your spirituality and getting some relief and then going out and trying to stay sober and it just never worked for me. But when I started coming in here and sticking my hand out to a new guy, even at 30 days, you know, that was one of the recommendations that my sponsor said. He said, nine out of ten times there's going to be someone in a meeting with less time than you. He said, go up and introduce yourself. And I'll tell you one of the biggest things for me when I was at NABA the first time, and I, I hold on to this today that when I hear someone's name, I always try and remember it. I remember an old time named Joe Hubbard, old timer, came up to me one time. It was probably four or five times back in a meeting at NABA, and I was new, and he, he came up and said, Hey, Tim, how's it going? And it blew me away that this guy knew my name. You know, out of all the people at NABA, these were big meetings, and the fact that somebody knew my name, it blew me away. And, uh, you know, I love the newcomers in, in AA because I just, I know how hard it is. And I love the people that go out and come back. You know, I mean, I can see why people die that have long-term sobriety and go out and drink again. Because you think you know the program. I mean, it's just, yeah, I can't even, I won't even try and go there because you just have no idea what it's like. Um, knowing what's possible in here and then knowing what you're doing out there, it just, it is like, two opposite ends of a magnet and it's just it's it's miserable but uh, I did I came in here and I started reaching out and I one of the other things that I did when I came in here is I did not come in and try and give the ultimate share I shut my mouth and I listened you know my sponsor told me you can go to six six meetings a week and out of four of them I don't I don't want you to say anything sit and listen and listen to people and see how it applies to you you know and and he had recommended that I go to a couple different meetings and when I'm out on the road today you know, with my lawn cutting business, uh, I go to meetings and I, you know, I, I'm down in Atlanta sometimes and uh, I tell you this program has exploded my life back out. My, you know, my, my family's come back and uh, my work is incredible today and, and um, you know, my life doesn't evolve around those things even though they're most important to me. You know, my family, I cherish my family. You know, I, I don't know how they put up with me. I don't know why anybody would want to come back to that. But I'll tell you that there's some miraculous things that have happened in my, in my home life. You know, out of the blue one day, my wife started going to Al-Anon. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what do you got to do that for? I mean, things are, you know, things are going so good. You know? And, uh, but she started going to Al-Anon, and then she, she went on to explain to me, and this will blow your mind. You know, she, she has become aware that she has her, her own issues. And um, she told me that she, she wanted to go to Al-Anon so she could start working on some of her stuff. And she had told me that she said, uh, she said, I have seen what's happened to you. And if something like that could happen, she said, she's not a big God person. She's like, there's got to be a God. And I thought that maybe that's the purpose. You know, I mean, these purposes for me are not about what I can get and, and how much I can acquire. And, and I'll tell you, that's how I lived my whole life after I got sober the first time. It was how much can I get back? You know, how much can I, how much money can I make? And how much can I get back? And I'm telling you, with this company in Omaha, it was a nice, you know, six-figure salary that I was making and I was living large. And it just didn't serve me well. You know, I, I just, I couldn't manage myself out of a paper bag. Um, and it's just different today. My business has grown beyond, beyond my belief. And I'll give you, I'll give you two other examples of, of what this program means to me and what it's done for me. 
I got out of treatment or out of the potter's house that second time and I had gone and applied at Home Depot. And uh, Home Depot had turned me down probably because of my record, but man, I wanted this job. And they needed somebody and I knew I could do it. And I remember, I remember HR called me and told me that because of my record they couldn't hire me. And I remember being on my back patio at home and I remember saying, I guess God just doesn't want me to have that job. And it just occurred to me that, that for a guy like me to have that thought, that something else was, was working in my life that was not me. And, uh, you know, I went on and I, I basically said, if there's a job that I'm supposed to have, just let me know when I'm supposed to have it, you know. And I think I got up and went to a meeting. And that's the transformation that has happened for me is my primary focus is here. And there are times through my sobriety, you know, three years this, this time, you know, I'm over three years that I have wandered off and other things have become more important. Um, and the insurance policy, with the, I'll get a phone call from someone, you know, that's having a bad day or I'll get a phone call from someone that says just wanted to say hi. You know, and it gets me back into what's really important here. And I had another situation back in November. My business started to really drop off. And uh, the first amazing thing that I did is I didn't try and figure it out. I called my sponsor and I said, here's what I'm thinking of doing. You know, what's your thought? And, and his, you know, my thought was, let me get my resume together and, you know, get it out there. And maybe it's time to start looking for something new. And he gave me some advice, you know, not to get wrapped around that whole exercise and, and do that, but keep doing what you can with your business. And I was able to do that. And then somewhere in January, out of nowhere, I mean, my business went to here. And, 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 and it's, just, it's just amazing to me. And when I, when I look back, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't sit up here and, and feel how good I am about all this happening and this great business executive I am. It's like, man, it's like if these spiritual principles can do this, I mean, I can only imagine if I'm graced with the, the idea or that I can stay sober another year or two years or three years. You know, it, again, it's not what I can get, but imagine, you know, how this feeling inside will intensify. And, uh, I mean, I love this program, and I, and I love the people in this program, and, and um, it has given me back the person that I always dreamed about as a five-year-old. You know, I can remember times even as an 18-year-old, I just did not know what I, wa I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was always confused. And the best analogy I know is I always felt like I was a fish in a fishbowl, you know, looking out at everybody while everybody was looking at me. And it was this, just this big hole where I just never fit. And I will tell you today that I feel, and I have no idea what's going to happen a week from today with my business or my relationship. I mean, they're on the upswing. But at the same time, I feel better today inside than I have ever felt. And it's, and it's primarily, you know, with the concept or the idea that I don't understand God and I still don't know how He works. But I know that God has a plan for me. You know, and God's plan for me is to come here and spend time with people in the program and work with the newcomers. I mean, it just is amazing to me how that idea that I can be useful to someone else is important to a guy like me. I mean, I am wrapped so tight around my own head that it's not even funny when I'm outside this program. But, uh, you know, I don't know what else to share other than if you're new, I mean, just keep coming back here if you don't die. I mean, I, and I say that with a lot of seriousness. I mean, I have watched a lot of people die in this program. You know, and, and one of the guys that comes to mind, some people know in here, is my good buddy Charlie. 
you know, Charlie and I lived at the 164 house um, for about seven, eight months, and Charlie was an expert cabinet maker and a handyman. And uh, I don't know if he was using at the time, but he was out one day on a job, and he, a miter saw or something jumped off a cabinet that he was building, and it, it cut his leg, you know, pretty bad, where he had to get stitches and go to the hospital. And, you know, they put him on some pain medication. But I can look back Charlie's story, and I can learn from that, unfortunately. You know, he died. Uh, but he got on his, in his own little world with his pills. You know, and uh, I remember saying to him, you know, I was the house manager at the time at the 164 house, and it's like, you know, you sure you're doing okay with those pills? He was like, you know, yeah, Tim, everything's, everything's fine. Well, he had gotten to a point where his workman's comp was running out, and Charlie's answer to getting more workman's comp was to whack his cut knee with a rubber mallet hammer. And what he did so he could get infected again and he could go back to the doctor. Well, a couple Saturdays later, Adam and I were sitting in a meeting and Charlie called on our cell phone and said, you know, somebody needs to get, get me to the hospital. And he had told us a couple days before about some back pain he was having. And uh, we went over to get him at the house, Adam and I, and uh, the first thing he said when I walked in is, he's like, Tim, there's trails going through the room. He said, I need to get to a hospital. And this was on like a Tuesday afternoon at, you know, maybe 10, 10.30. And we got him over to Kennestone, and he was dead by 5.30. And his body had developed septus from the infection, and it got into his organs, and he was, he was dead. You know, and that was the end of Charlie. And I will guarantee you that when Charlie hit his knee with that rubber mallet, he thought it was the normal thing to do at the time. You know, and I get that. You know, and I get that. And I, I look at Charlie's story, and I say, if I don't keep coming back here, I get so far out there with my thoughts that I'm so far out there, I don't even know I'm there. That's the insanity of this program. But when I come back here, I hear stories and I get people to, to share and talk to that help remind me that the main thing is the main thing, which is here. And uh, I am convinced today, without a shadow of a doubt, that I cannot fix myself. I'm convinced even after three years of sobriety, tomorrow, if a decision comes, I don't know the best decision to make. You know, I have two, two resources that I tap into, and one of them is my experience and my history, and the other one is my sponsor and other people in the program. And, uh, you know, God forbid I get away from here because I, I actually am terminally unique with the idea that I think that I can go run my program again. I have proved it time and time again, and I do, and it usually happens to me when things are going good, when the business is on the upswing and my wife is not misbehaving or acting up and you know my kids doing well and and whatever and you know I really I really am convinced on how life good is you know how good life is and uh before I know it you know I have a little voice in the back of my head that says I need to go live now you know and thanks I'll see you guys later and I haven't done that this time it's like you know when I come in here you know I want to share with people how God is working in my life because it's just it just is amazing to me. I could go on with story after story, you know, of things that have happened in my life that just have no explanation whatsoever. And uh, I will tell you what I'm getting better at today and, and, and what it's like real quickly is, you know, the way I look at the world today is just, it's miraculous. You know, it is, uh, it's unbelievable that uh, something like that could happen to a guy like me. And... Um, 
I love coming into meetings and listening to newcomers and watch them struggle. You know, I have a good friend of mine right now that works with me that comes in here and I'll take his inventory, but I, I pull up and he's sweeping cigarettes out front. And I'm thinking, you know, that guy's got a shot to stay sober, you know, because he's doing it. And he's not just sweeping, he's sweeping with a smile on his face, talking to people when they come in. And I'm telling you, it's those little things that we don't understand why we do them, but we make coffee because we start feeling a part of this group of what's going on. You know, and, and um, that has been the key for me this time. If, I, if there was a recipe for success, it was, you know, just take a chance. You know, and that would be my message is take a chance sometime and, and you know, go stick your hand out. If you're 30 days sober, go stick your hand out to a guy who's here for their first meeting and just tell him you're glad he's here. And then more importantly, remember his name. And when you see him again, watch his eyes light up when you go up and say, John. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm t it'll, blow, it'll blow him away. You know, and I, that's what Dr. Bob talks about, you know, and, and, you know, his last speech was just never forget the newcomer, you know, and give him a pat on the back and tell him that, you know, it's going to be okay. And I think that that's what this, that, that's what life is about for me today. You know, it's not about the six-figure salary and the good job. And, I mean, there is so much joy in seeing people and newcomers and people even not in the program get through life struggles. You know, I have a buddy of mine it's baseball season right now and I spent the last two days with this guy who is not in the program and maybe he could be it's not my place to say and I have known this guy since my son was six years old he coached my son well his son just got cut from varsity and there's no explanation why he got cut and he was calling me all day yesterday and I, I gotta be honest the idea that I could be available and tell this guy how to react to that because I've been through it, was amazing to me. And it wasn't just AA-based. It was the fact that God has put me in a position not only to have these experiences, but to share that with people, that I actually provided a value in someone else's life yesterday, and it was amazing to me. You know, he called me this morning, and I, I got a text late in the meeting last night that said, can we meet tomorrow for breakfast? And I immediately thought he wants to go to a meeting, you know? And he didn't. He didn't call me again, but, you know, <laughs> you know, I told him. I texted him back and said, I got to be in a meeting in the morning. I didn't hear back from him. But, you know, I, you know, I felt like I was able to share with him what happened with me and how I reacted. And, and you know, he hung on to that. And uh, his family is going through a rough time. It has nothing to do with alcohol right now. He is actually hitting an emotional bottom in, in financially and every area of his life and it's like I, I get a front seat to it and it's not a lot of fun to watch but um, you know these principles and this this program uh, you can take them anywhere and, and I try and do everywhere I go today you know I'm one of these guys that doesn't necessarily feel good when I don't do right you know when I think I can sneak away with a little lie or it comes back and it haunts me you know I'm gonna end with this story because this is real important to me I have some guys in the program that, that work for me and a good buddy of mine that helped me out one day to help me fix my weed eater when I was so drunk I could hardly walk, uh, who's been around here for a while, was working for me last, last week. And we had some discussions over a job and you know my mind started going and I started thinking and you know I kind of got out there in a way and I, I kind of accused this guy of something that, that I didn't know if it was, it was true. It seemed real at the time, but, you know, we had some kind words, but I had a decision to make, you know, and the decision was I, I can't use them anymore. And I will tell you, it wasn't the next day 
that I was out working with someone else in the program and I was confronted with that same situation where I had to do something that I had, had blamed this guy for and I almost did it. And I had to remember you know, what I had accused this guy of doing and I came into that meeting last night and I thanked him because he helped me. And it turns out I don't think he did what I thought he did. You know? And it's a non-issue and it's the fact that, that God has taken that whole experience and it's not so much that God has done it, the fact is that I can see it. And I actually, after the meeting last night, he pulled me aside and I went up to him. We hugged each other and I said, I just want to let you know you helped me yesterday. And I mean, that's what this program does for me today and it's just amazing. And it wasn't about what happened and it was, it's about the growth. And it's kind of like, well, maybe we, I, I left driving out of here in my car thinking maybe we can help each other not to do that tomorrow. You know, that's what this program is about. And it, it just life has given me a new meaning. And I'm going to end with that. And, uh, you know, again, I will leave with this message. If you're new, you know, this program will get into you if you just give up. You know, if you, if you give up trying to figure it out. And if you're old and you're struggling with, if you're an old timer and you're struggling with something because it, uh, just give up. You know, and there's a spiritual answer, I will promise you, that can be found in the big book or that can be found in a conversation with a newcomer. You know, um, if you keep coming back and you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. I'm grateful to be sober and I'm glad you guys are here. Thanks.